the Purpose Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. We're all about delivering great content, thoughtful discussions, and tips and tricks to help you truly get the most out of your life and business. And here's your charismatic host, me, Matt Browning. Hey, 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 how you doing? It's Matt Browning. Welcome back to the pod. It's Interview Friday. And you know what that means? It means we got a cool interview for you. And this Friday is no exception. Um, I am beyond thrilled. I, I love it when I get to, to pick someone's brain who not only runs a multi-million dollar business, is crazy successful, but is also just a tremendous-hearted person and someone I can call a really, really good friend of mine. So um, today, I interview Jim Padilla. Jim Padilla is, gosh, what can I say about Jim? Let me start with this. Before I get into his formal bio, Jim Padilla is uh, just a man of integrity, a man of his word, a man of faith, uh, a tremendous husband, a father, and we have shared stories, and we get into some of this as well about family with um, uh, with his children, with his wife Cindy, and how they run their business together, and that's an entire journey and story that we get into a bit. Um, Jim and his wife Cindy, they run a, a very, very lucrative multi-seven figure, so that you know they make millions of dollars a year, uh, sales company. So, if you are in business, or of course, I know a lot of people listening, some of you, you're, like, you're not in business, you don't want to be in business, but you're taking some of these lessons, some of these interviews, and you're applying it to how you're getting a raise at work, uh, going into your career. We certainly talk a lot about mindset, about productivity, uh, and you know all the things that I think the, these entrepreneurs that are driven by a purpose, all of us, I think there's lessons in that for every human being. So I just want to be clear that if you feel like this might not, might not be directed to you because we do talk business a lot, um, I do realize there's a lot of people listening that just listen because of the lessons that these visionaries and entrepreneurs have learned over the years. I think that can benefit everyone. So certainly Jim's no exception. Um, we get into some really powerful story stuff. So you're going to hear how a kid grew up with teenage parents um, and ultimately, like when you hear a story like this, you know, it's, it's one of these stories that if you don't know who he is and what he's made of himself, you think, gosh, that poor kid doesn't have a chance. And, and there's just some incredible stuff that comes out, you know, again, whether it's talking about the teenage parents and then what happened beyond there. Um, he's gone through abuse. He's gone through neglect. He's been on his own early. And, and he started going down what for many would be a bad road. And what he was able to do, which I can't wait for you to hear this part of the story, but when he turned it around and used it to inspire him, and like so many of us have done in our life, he took what what was probably his greatest setback, um, one of the greatest challenges in life, many challenges in life, and he turned them into his biggest asset without realizing it. So you're here, you'll hear how in the interview he went from just an absolute tragic upbringing in a lot of ways, but turned it into um, such an incredible business opportunity. And, and beyond business, what Jim's been able to do is tap into some of his greatest gifting, and he's built a business around his gifting. So what I want you to get, um, our purpose-driven entrepreneur listeners, I want you to get how he's how he's not, he didn't just build a business, but he figured out what his deepest gifting and calling is. And he built a business around that gifting. 
something really powerful about that. And, you know, Jim also, you know, he's, he's a man of faith. So we've had many, many conversations around God and, uh, well, you, you, you know, I'll leave it to you. You're going to get his perspective on what God's done through him, with him, and what he does over his life. And you can make your own conclusions. And as always, this is a safe place to be. So regardless of your background, your belief system, I want you to listen with an open mind and a hopeful heart to uh, to what can happen no matter how we grow up and no matter where we go. And I think that's a message for everybody. So um, you're going to learn, of course, all about that. But then the second thing we get into beyond just the story, uh, I love to get into the lessons as well. So Jim is one of the best salespeople I've ever met in my entire life. He has a, he has a way about sales that you can sit with Jim and 30 minutes later you have no idea that any sales are going on. And almost he doesn't feel like it either. He's having a... He talks about how to have a non-sales sales conversation. He has a great podcast called Sales Unscripted where he gets literally into that. It's like a, it's all about unscripting sales and having these value-driven conversations with people that could be your prospects. And then people buy what they need to buy and they don't buy what they don't need to buy. So Jim is a master sales trainer and an expert team builder and launch expert. So Jim's worked on product launches and these are oftentimes seven-figure, multiple seven-figure launches for some prominent uh, expert coaches and people in our industry. With more than 20 years' experience building teams and leading them to success, Jim has a solid track record for achieving results. In their business, they lead well over 100 different team members in their entire sales company. He's also a launch expert. So he and his team have led dozens of entrepreneurs to huge success in their product launches driving sales, surpassing goals. Um, he shared the stage with Jay Abraham, Les Brown, and he brings an exceptional level of experience and talent to the world of sales. Like I said earlier, Jim has this, this amazing ability to have this conversation that is genuinely and authentically value-driven for the person's value, for what brings value to their life. And somehow he's able to make this beautiful triple win where he'll help to win for the product launcher or for the the seminar leader he'll help win for the customer of course the person attending to make sure that they get what they want and not what they don't and then of course a win for he and his team um i cannot wait for you to experience jim padilla uh, as as close to live and in flesh as you can without any further ado my buddy jim padilla so we're back. We are back uh, in action. Um, well, I, I say we're back because we have done this before. We did it once before, Jim Padilla. We recorded, and this is one of my first uh, live recordings. We sat down at a conference a couple months ago together, and the dang thing, man, I went to play it back, and none of the microphones were plugged in or worked right. It looked right. I'm not a techie person, so I just want to say thank you for coming back on. Thank you for having another conversation. And the cool thing is, I'm sure we'll probably repeat some things, and I'll bet we're going to get into uh, a whole another set of stories. So uh, I'm excited to have you on. Jim, welcome to the pod, man. How are you? Awesome, man. Uh, no trip at all. You know, it's always good to be able to hang and, and just talk with you, bro. Yeah, I, uh, I love you. You've fast become one of my favorite people to spend time with. 
Um, especially I, I say like, I don't want to give a caveat to it, but I will say in the transformation space and the expert space where we go to a lot of events, a lot of workshops, uh, a lot of JV, you know, joint venture retreats and things like that. Um, every time I see you like across a, a crowded room, it's like, oh, there you are, it's Jim. And I, I quickly want to gravitate towards you and, and just kind of hang out as long as I can. So um, you're, you're an amazing human being. You're a man of faith. You are crushing it in business. And, and you're just a cool dude to spend time with. So thanks for letting me pick your brain for the next uh, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour or so. Hey, right on, man. I appreciate all that. And it's uh, right back at you. The, the bromance is real. The bromance is real. I like that. I like that. I, I was sitting, um, I was sitting with a, a friend, Larry Broughton, who's just on the podcast uh, uh, yesterday. And his episode hasn't dropped yet. But I was telling him, and I feel the same way about you. I said, you know, sometimes I'm like, whenever I'm sitting here with you, I kind of feel like, like I snuck in the room. You know, like I have a little bit of imposter syndrome. Like, I, like, I can't believe there's this you know, some kind of a mutual respect and I'm not, you know, I'm kind of taking a hit at myself with that, but I just, I really mean it. Like, it's just, it's so cool that I get to be hanging out with a guy like you that has, is who you are and has done what you've done, but enough uh, blowing smoke. Um, <laughs> you're awesome. Um, I want to, I want to find out. So you, you and Cindy, just before we started rolling tape, you said you're expecting, uh, is it your first grandbaby? First grandchild. Yes. Our kids are kids. We have three daughters who are 26 28 well yeah 28 and 31 oh my and gosh two of them got married last year one just got engaged two weeks ago Aww. and our youngest who was the first one to get married is now got a baby coming in three months man so, wow, so the youngest is having the grandbaby first that's cool yep, yep. awesome yeah, three, it's, uh, crazy. it's crazy it's like time warp stuff it's like you would think this stuff moves slow it's just fast it's like they just got married they just met it's like she was in college playing basketball like last year wasn't it no it was, was in diapers two years ago right <laughs> yeah yeah it's insane I, I it's funny for me I feel like we were talking about time a lot and time has been speeding up but at the same time I feel like recently in the last couple of years for me it's almost slowed down a little bit and it goes through these phases where it speeds up it slows down and you know I'm 38 I have a seven-year-old son as you know and um, just the one, so no grandbabies on the way. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to the, uh, the speeding up. Um, how are, uh, how's Cindy taking it? How's your wife doing? Is she excited for the grandbaby? She's all in, man. She's all in. She's trying to convince her friends to throw a, a shower for her. <laughs> she's like, we gotta buy, we gotta buy strollers. We gotta buy car seats. We gotta buy cribs. So she's like, she's like, I need a grandma shower. A grandma shower. You know, that, that might be the first time in the history uh, of showers. I don't, maybe there was grandbaby, grandma showers before. That's so funny. Um, are you, uh, so all the kids have moved out, obviously, if they're uh, married and engaged. So how, how has it been kind of transitioning into that? They call it empty nest. I hate that word, but how has it been transitioning into life with just you and your wife? Was that a, a trip or was that like welcomed and excited and you're ready for it? Or did you have to kind of resituate yourself? For me, it was hard. I, I was the one, you know, Cindy was off working corporate. I was always the entrepreneur. So I was at home with the kids all the time. So when, when they left, I was like, well, what the hell do I do? I had, the, it was reverse uh, impact, you know? So that first year for me was a trip. I was always like, well, what are they doing right now? Or, you know, what class, you know, how come you're not texting me back? And <laughs> all this crap, because they were all away at school when they went. Because now but they're adults. Now, dude, it's just, it's awesome. I love it's it. Awesome. Cindy and I, you know, we're, we're just, 
our marriage is taken to a new level, um, especially being partners in business and being able to work together. It's like we're, but we have our own offices on opposite ends of the house. So we're just, you know, we doors shut, do not disturb signs on when we're in meetings or in, in calls and stuff. Um, but we've, we, our marriage is just soared because we've learned how to be in business together and to run a multi-million dollar business, you know, you know, you can't afford to be like, well, I don't want to talk to you right now because I'm mad. You know, <laughs> you just got to talk. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you don't have the luxury of of, uh, of doing that. That's interesting. Um, it's you know, I remember seeing an interview a long time ago with a, a old couple. They've married like sixty years, and the interviewer said, "What's the secret to success?" And she said, "We live next door to each other." <laughs> and she said, "We're we're deeply in love, but and it's funny that right. I, I'm only, I'm ten years in or eight years into our marriage, ten years in the relationship with my wife Lola, and but I I kind of I get that right where we go, man. We love each other so much. We love spending time together, but sometimes, you know, between you know leading the church together, living our life together, uh, raising our son together, and then there was a minute where we were doing all work together too. And I thought, man, this is just it's it's a lot." And almost there's no time to miss each other, right? There's no time to be married because we're so busy doing all these enterprise and, and all this life stuff. Um, so we made the decision to not be in business together and not because we don't get along, but just because um, it's been nice. So she's following her dream and deciding what she wants to be spending time doing. I'm running the coaching business. We still lead a ministry together. We still obviously have family time together. And it's, it's quite nice. I kind of get that, you know? Um, do you, how much time do you think you spend with your wife running, you're running the business together, obviously you're married. How, how many hours in a day do you see, do you go hours not seeing each other or is it kind of constantly together? We'll, we'll spend uh, chunks of time throughout the day where we don't see each other because literally she's in her office and I'm in mine. Um, but we're, dude, we spend 23 hours a day in this place. And aside from, you know, going to work out for an extra, she goes to her gym, I go to my gym. You know, <laughs> we go to church together. We do Bible studies together. Sure. We do business together. We do life together. And I can honestly say, man, I just, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm head over heels for this woman. And every time I see her, it's like, it's never enough. And I mean, so, we, we sold, we, we, we do more together than we ever have. Last year, we sold our second car because we said, well, why pay insurance and taxes and registration for a second car when we don't even leave the house party. Right. So yeah, no, we're, we're just like, we're entrenched, man. Man, that is, that is and how long have you been married? Uh, 23 years. 23 years. Congrats. Yeah. That is uh, that is awesome. There's definitely secrets in there. Yeah. Now, you said Cindy used to be in corporate. What, what was Cindy doing? Yeah, she spent uh, most of her year in corporate retail management. So she was a manager running Target stores, running Old Navy stores, Mervyn's, um, so she's been leading, you know, Irvins. hundred million dollar stores with, you know, hundreds of employees. And so she's always been in sales, just a little different vibe, mm -hmm. right? retail sales and always been great at running teams. So you combine her with all of my sales experience in my entrepreneur land. And we were just a perfect mesh to be able to, to build the business model that we have. You know, yeah, No people. joke. Do, do you tend to, uh, when you and your wife run business together, do you tend to say, this is your area, this is my area, or do you kind of have like the co-captain chair, so to speak? No, we're pretty clear in our lanes. You know, yeah. I'm the rainmaker. I'm the, I'm the face of the company for the most part. Um, I'm the one going out, talking, speaking, nurturing the relationships with the marketplace and with our clients. Mm -hmm. And she is the one who essentially make sure that the cat, the checks I write cash. 
because I make all kinds of promises when I'm out there. And she's the one that says, yes, he promised this. Here's how we execute on it. And so high level, like scheduling and team leading and, uh, and program directing and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Outstanding. I was reading in, uh, in some of your, your resume, some of your history. I didn't realize you had actually worked uh, for or with Eric Lawholm. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, a, a good season of my life. I mean, it was about four years chunk time. Okay. And that, that was, that was then before the gain the edge sales, the, the business you two are doing now. Yeah. And, and what, what did you do for it? Cause you've done, I'm sure the same kind of work, not just for Eric, but for a, a ton of different people. Um, I guess let me, let me back up for a second. So how old were you when you got into sales as a career? Well, what was your first real sales job officially? Literally, I mean, I've been selling everything since my whole life. You know, I was the kid who had not just the lemonade stand, but I had multiple and I was running them. So I was like, you know, I was like the godfather, uh, you know, at seven years old. And <laughs> Did you legit have a lemonade stand or is that a metaphor? Oh, we had lemonade stands and then we also had keychain stands. We were, we were making, you know, keychains and stuff and selling them to, to, to bypassers and, and people at the lemonade stands. So they would come in for the lemonade and we'd, we'd upsell them. <laughs> Do you want fries with that? <laughs> you upsell them. <laughs> well, hey, you know, like, you know, you, you make a nickel on the lemonade, but the keychain 75 cents, you know, just like McDonald's. You're, you're, the lemonade's a loss leader, right? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, so, so you were, again, legit, seven years old doing that? Yeah. Was that just a neighborhood thing or did you go to, to somewhere in particular? Or did you set up was, on the corner? Was right in our neighborhood. We would go around the neighboring, the, the nearby uh, neighborhoods and go door to door with it. But we had a pretty busy street. And so we'd get a lot of traffic with people stopping for lemonade stands and stuff. And then you had door to door lemonade sales too? For sure. That is epic. And then we started, you know, we always had like um, at your service companies. We started an at your service company and we would do is back then when you, when aluminum cans were worth something, we would go like, Hey, look, we'll, we'll clean your garage. We'll, you know, take all your uh, aluminum cans. We'll crush them and take them to the store. We'll get them out of the way for you. All this, anything you want us to do, mow your lawns, um, anything that 10, 12, 13 year old kids could do mm -hmm. uh, and get paid to do. So, so for all of that, were you, did you sort of become the team lead? You made it into like a company where these other kids maybe are going, yeah, I'm going to make some money. I'm going to do some work. But you, did you always kind of have that vision of seeing what's possible and what's not there yet? And then going, okay, how can I create this? And who can I, who can I utilize here? Totally. Like, was that always yeah. sort of your mentality? Yeah, but I wish I could take more credit. I mean, now it's definitely more strategy, but back then it was about survival. You know, my mom mm -hmm. was on welfare when I was a kid. I remember going to, um, to Safeway to go grocery shopping at 11.30 at night because they closed at 12 and my mom didn't want anybody to see her paying the food stamps. You know, wow. That was a lot of that. And I just knew that if whatever I wanted and needed, I had to go get it. And I was always afraid we were never going to have enough. So it's like, okay, if I could sell 10 cups of lemonade, if I have you three, then we could sell 40 cups of lemonade. That's how I was always looking. We just, as much as we can get, let's go get it. Right. And then I'll take a piece of all the lemonade that gets sold. Totally. What, what area did you grow up in? I was in the Bay area. In the Bay area. Okay. And then you're still up there now. It, um, somewhere. Sacramento. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So to me in orange County, Southern California, you're all the same. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sacramento Bay. I mean, Seattle, it's all basically like up above me, you know, like, like for you guys, when I say orange County versus it's LA versus LA. San Diego, most people go, isn't that all LA? Like, no, it's so <laughs> different. So you grew up in the Bay area. Um, were you like, like near the, was it, I'm assuming it wasn't a very affluent place the the neighborhood you were in or was it? 
not where we were. We were in, in apartments. So it wasn't, you went, I wouldn't call them projects, but you know, there wasn't a lot of money. In the- as project as you can get for uh, the outskirts suburbs of the Bay area. Yeah. And, and was, was your dad home then too? No, nope. no. Nope. I had uh, whoever the stepdad of the season was. Oh, wow. Were, were your parents ever together? Or did they divorce when you were young or? I, my dad, my mom had me at 16. My dad was 17. He, oh my gosh. He took off headed for the hills like any wise 17 year old would, I guess. Well, you know. a, a young kid who doesn't even know what, the, what even happened almost. Yeah. Wow. Did you ever meet your dad? Yep. Yeah. There's a whole story around that. But, um, okay. Yeah. Wow. Seventeen. Because the, 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 here's the cool part though. Back then, I didn't know. I, you know, I thought I was just a kid who was jacked up in a bad situation. Mm. I was trying to take care of me. Uh, you know, I was the definition of a latchkey kid. Like, if you open up the dictionary to latchkey kid, there's a picture of little six-year-old Jimmy with a keychain around his neck. And, you know, I, I never had a babysitter. I would just let myself in, come home, watch Underdog and Captain Kangaroo and <laughs> do my thing until, uh, until my mom came home. Um, but I was always on my own. And then I, you know, wow. I grew up really in an abused environment. She didn't know anything except the life that, that she challenged her. She only really knew she had to respond to it was with violence and fear and anger. So, oh, wow. At, at that age and, and not knowing what to do. So I got the crap beat out of me consistently with, you know, baseball bats, broomsticks, plates in your hand, whatever was nearby I got hit with. Oh, my goodness. It was, uh, yeah, there was not a lot of love in our home. There was definitely no God in our home. And, and was it just you and, and a very young teenage mother? Or did she live with like your grandma? No, it was just the two of us. Just the two of you. So yeah. she's struggling to survive and try to figure out what to do and had no idea how to, wow. Yeah, she had no business. She didn't know what she was doing. She was just trying to, you said she's trying to survive. So yeah. and I was trying to survive. And, um, you know, I ended up in, in, uh, in foster care at 13. Um, pretty much on the streets at 16 and jail at 19. And wow. That was a very fast time frame. Yeah, very. <laughs> what, what, what was one of the first, so you said in jail by 19, did, did yeah. you start like small crimes? Was it just kind of getting in trouble here and there and little by little it, it grew or did you have a moment when like things changed? Uh, I, I, I really, my whole perspective on life was take care of me, mm-hmm. which by default meant I didn't take care of you. I took care of me at your expense. So I stole from people. I, you know, whatever I needed to do and I justified it all because I was trying to survive. Right. Take care of myself. And um, it, you know, and then by the time I'm in high school, it became dealing drugs and, you know, running other people and, um, you know, just, and then the more you do it, the more, the better you get at it, the more arrogant you get. So then you get careless. And And then you got careless and got tripped up. What was the internal dialogue like at this point? So maybe call it, you know, between 13 to 16, 17 years old. Like what sorts of things are you saying to yourself? What is, what does the world look like to Jim, a young Jim? What does it mean? Yeah. Great question. Um, back then all truly my, all I did my whole life, my, all of my waking moments were spent on how do I control the environment so that the people around me, will not want to hurt me. Wow. That was my only self-defense mechanism. How do I make my mom feel like she doesn't need to hit me? How do I make my foster environment not want to challenge me? How do I make the gangs in the street that I run with think that Jim's the guy? 
right? So all, that's all I thought about. And then when I'm out in the world, all I thought about was how do I make other people think I don't have this jacked up home life? Mm. So I spent no time taking care of, you know, building myself as a person. I spent all of my time reading the environment around me. Right. Obviously you fast forward 30 years now and you know, that's what's enabled us to make, you know, a ton of money and, and not an impact in the world because we teach people <laughs> right. how to master the environment, master the sales conversation by influencing those around you to make them feel safe enough to trust you and buy from you. But wow. Lord, you know, I never knew that that was a gift that I was being given. I just thought I was, you know, drew the short straw. Oh, I, I, I can't even imagine, you know, just, I mean, going from how bad can it get with, with this mother who doesn't know what she's doing to now being in foster care to now, did you spend a long time in jail or was it like a season uh, early on? Uh, it, it, was, how, season. it was short in, I was short in at 19, went back in again for another short stand at 21. And then I was like, you know, it was done. Um, I was done with the drugs. I was done with all of that. I still had a lot of violence in my life because that was all I knew as a kid. And um, so violence meaning internally, you're still angry. You're oh, still a lot of that buddy and everything fighting. Okay. Uh, yeah. It was, uh, if, if you, if, if anything didn't go the way I wanted, the only thing I knew how to do, if it was, if I couldn't influence you or manipulate you into getting what I needed, then I was just going to beat your ass. Wow. I'm glad I met you when I did, dude. <laughs> Cause I, I would not take you. <laughs> You know, and when I was 25, I got in a fight in a 7-Eleven parking lot, did some damage to a guy, you know, mm-hmm. his face off, his me broke his nose, shattered oh, him up. I could go to prison for this. And so that was the last fight I ever got. And then At I 25? Yep. I said, I have to do, I have to learn how to do this differently. So what, what, what was the next step then? So you, you find yourself, you're like looking back going, okay, this whole life that I've lived, everything I've been through has kind of led me to... To this is how I interact with the world and then realizing it's not how I want to interact with the world, right? right. Was it mostly the, like the anger, violence, drug side or did you have a realization at that point yet around the manipulation and the influence and the, you know, does that make sense? Was it mostly just around like the, the violence and the drugs piece first or did, did it all come in one pop of like, oh, this is what's going on my whole life. This is what I'm doing. No, it's uh, unfortunately no. The, the biggest challenge was because I grew up without any real adult mentors and, you know, I didn't have a father and I, you know, had no relationship with my mother. I had no real parental guidance. So I literally made every possible mistake known to man until I was 30. Right. So I did everything wrong. I learned, I, there wasn't a single thing I learned the easy way. Yeah. Um, and so I, I made tons of mistakes, but it was a lot of it was about, okay, I, I, I did understand that I had this great skill set. I knew I could, I always had the ability to attract people and then essentially manipulate them to do what I needed. Right. You were like the ultimate Tom Sawyer. Totally. But it was all about me. Right. And about me. And so I, I everything, uh, every relationship I was in ended up bad because at some point I would just take what I wanted instead of giving what they needed. Sure. Uh, that not just you know, emotional relationships, women, but friendships, whatever. I didn't care because the ends justified the means. As long as I was taken care of, I felt justified. And, you know, the older you get, the less that makes sense. And then the problem is you start having guilt and shame and everything to go with it. You just don't know how to solve it. Had you, done any, had you done any personal development kind of, do you have any exposure to any of that world up until this point or not really? I did a little because I went to, I was in Amway at 19. Oh, wow. And, and they're huge into personal development. 
Totally. That was where I first started getting into the tape of the week club and the book of the month club yeah. and all that. Um, and I got you, kind of addicted to it, but I didn't really know how to apply it. I just loved feeding it into my Do you remember head. what branch of Amway it was? I know they have like the, like I was in the worldwide dream builders with Clickstar yeah, yeah, and well, Amway back in the day. Essentially we were INA. INA? Yeah. The Internet, International Network Advance. They were like Northern California born. Here. Gotcha. Yeah. But uh, I, that was when I first went, I saw Tony Robbins when I was 19 but he wasn't Tony Robbins back then. He was just a big dude with a big head and a big mouth. <laughs> but he said a lot of cool things. So I was like, yeah, I like this guy. You know, I could walk on fire. And Is this like the 90s? Is that This would have been like, yeah, 1991. Okay. 1990. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's got a good start, but he really like, that's after a decade, you know, 12, 13, whatever years of, uh, of getting into it. Interesting. So a young Tony Robbins yeah. and did, did, did any of that stick with you or was it like looking back? Oh yeah, that was this first time I thought about this stuff. And then you continued on and then. It was like planting seeds. Planting seeds. Yeah. It was like planting seeds. Same thing with along those journeys, whenever I would seek that personal development, there was always other people who would reach out around me and talk to me about, you know, I need to meet God. And I, you know, so I was always in this, Hey, there's something more out there. I just didn't really know what it was. Right. And I was just going to ask you next is I know you have, uh, faith is a huge part of your life today. Um, did you grow up with any kind of uh, faith in your life? Zero. Even if it was a backwards one, like, you know, was your mom Catholic or, or, but mom. didn't really know it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. My, my mom and my dad both met at a Catholic orphanage in the Bronx in the sixties, which back then it was nuns and rulers and paddles and thank you sir might have another and you know corporal punishment and everything so in her mind god that was god god was this hateful judgmental punishing god oh, that breaks my both, heart that's how they both grew up so they, there was so they, no they both met in a catholic orphanage full of wow okay great so then so i'm assuming that early on then you there weren't a lot of people talking about god and about faith and about obviously like the love that it's he's actually meant to be right? right and what was the first time that you really had i don't know maybe a conversation or someone in your life or did you run into something did, were you searching yourself or did more seeds come your way did, did someone come into your life that you know maybe had a strong faith that started planting that planting more seeds um, I had a few different friends along the way, but I, looking back now, I can see so many places where God was just like, he, he just had his hand of protection on me because yeah. I, I just was too stupid to figure it out. You know, I was like, I got this. And every time I would got this, I'd drive it into a ditch again. And then, you know, until I was too stubborn to, to say, here, you take the wheel. Cause I didn't know, I didn't really get it. Wow. And I didn't get serious about it until after Cindy and I were, you know, we, really what drove me in deep into wanting to own my faith and, exp and explore more was right around 9-11 when mm -hmm. that happened because um, we went to church, a friend of mine, we, we were looking for something more because we had kids and we wanted to provide something better for them. And a buddy of mine says, hey, come to church with this guy I was coaching Little League Baseball with. And we go to church and then that Sunday, the pastor's like, well, do you know what's gonna happen to you when you die? Right. And he didn't go into a whole space. He was asking a lot of questions. And I was like, I don't know. I don't even know how to answer that. Right. And then he talked about options and stuff. And I was thinking a lot. Well, that was Sunday. That Tuesday, the towers fell. Oh, my gosh. And I'm watching the towers dumb, just dumbfounded. Right. And I'm going, all I could think about was all those people who died. And yeah. I think they know where they're going. Wow. 
right? And it's like all those people, if, if there's a hell, how many of those people are going there? Wow. Because they didn't know. And so that Sunday we went to church, raised my hand, dove in and just been pursuing the, you know, the face and the heart of God ever since. Wow. Man, that's, that's, uh, that's incredible. It's like, whew, getting chills. So you've been, so, you know, now it's 2018 as we're doing this. So the last 17 years, you've really been pursuing uh, God, pursuing your faith, which is awesome and, and turning over those new leaves. So when, when did you kind of get into really officially like, Hey, this is what I do for a career. I'm selling uh, as an entrepreneur, as working for someone. What was the first step into that? It's interesting because uh, this is the first business that we're in right now that we've actually chosen. All my businesses have chosen me. If you know, just how it worked. How do you mean? Because, uh, well, I, I had a bunch of levies and garnishments because of stupid decisions that I made in the past. Sure. I ran the government a lot of money back then and they were garnishing everything I took. And I was, I was managing restaurant and I was literally making $3,364 a month and they would take half. I'm like, I just, if I could just keep 3364, I could live on it. That was my whole goal. And so I'm like, how do I, I started looking through the newspaper and there's this ad, come and earn what you're worth, right? And I call the guy and, and then it's talking about, just come in, man. You can make 10 grand a month, 20. I'm like, dude, can I make $6,688 a month? That's all I need to make because then the government- they take off, half. I can live on 3364. Wow. <laughs> and, and he's like, dude, you can make 20. I'm like, I don't want to make 20 grand a month. I just want to know if I can make 6,600 bucks a month. That's I what I need. Every day for a week. He finally goes, Jim, come down here and let's talk. Fine. So if you only want to make 6,600, fine. Exactly. So what we was, go in. What was, the, what was the job? It was an alarm sales, door to door. Door. It, so you're door knocking. I'm door knocking in the middle of the summer in Fresno, California, dude. And I'm like, all I could think of, this is so beneath me and my intelligence and my degree. And I'm a manager and I'm a leader. And I'm mm -hmm. watching these 18, 19 year old kids knock on doors and walk away with sales and, you know, making hundreds of dollars every night. And I'm like, okay, if they can do this, I can do this. And I started figuring it out, started making money every day. And then I immediately said, okay, how do I make more? How long did you door knock for that company? I did this for my first six months was this. I, after 30 days, I realized I can make a ton of money. I, only, I was limited by the doors and the daylight. Yes. So yeah. I said, okay, now let me get more door knockers. Like, how do I do the stuff that I want to do and nothing else? I didn't like knocking on doors. I didn't like being outside sweating. I like being inside talking to people. Right. So I got door knockers to knock for me. And then I would just go from one house to the next. I would go from one air conditioned living room to the next one, drinking lemonade and selling them, you know, doing the dog and pony show and building relationships and selling alarms. And so, then you'd have, so you'd have door knockers doing the cold knocking and then you'd go in and close the appointment. Yep. Awesome. Yep. And then pretty soon there was too many doors. So I had other guys going in and close as well. Pretty mm -hmm. soon, I got a van. I'm driving teams of guys, dropping them off. I'm just running the team. And a short after about six months, my team was produce out producing the whole office. So I just went and opened up my own dealership at offices, yep. three cities, and I was rocking. Wow! And still, uh, alarm systems, or did you get alarm into systems, like that was cable? We we did HVAC and home theater and CCTV and all that. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So Wait, did you say CCTV is a closed circuit? Yeah. Wow. So it was crazy, man. And again, total by accident, stumbled into it. And then I jumped into mortgage because the same thing happened. I have one of our guys was going out to do an install mm -hmm. uh, at, a, at a car dealership, which was this converted Burger King 
parking lot, right? This, this total like scam artist car dealership. But I, we go in and my, my the alarm guy goes out, the installer, and he's supposed to pick up a check. And the guy's trying to, you know, wheel him down. And he's like, hey, Jim, you got to come out and talk to this guy. Right? I talked to him on the phone. He was trying to, you know, knock me down to nothing. So I drive out there. We're talking. We're, we're going back and forth. He's totally a sales guy. I'm totally a sales guy. He has a mortgage license, but he's a car dealer. So he has never even messed with the mortgage side. And he goes, he loved my business model. And he goes, dude, I got a license. You can recruit a bunch of people and get them selling and we can just split the money. And this is 2005, 2004. So right when the mortgage rates were starting to really pop back. Yeah. So that was on a Friday. Monday, I had 35 loan officers in that office and we're going, let's roll. And I shredded again, totally by accident. Right. And we just hit into this gold mine of wow. and and this is funny. So again, you know, listeners, you they've they've heard me, you know, talk ad nauseum about, you know, my story and whatnot. But this is so 2004 fine. This is around the time when I was really peaking on on my real estate career. So I got into the in into the industry in ninety eight and I got my sales license, I think ninety eight as well, um, later in that year. And it was like, it was still refi mania. The, the rates had dropped below 7%. There were six and seven eighths and we were off to the races. And then but by 99, 2000, it was a huge drop off. And we went from, you know, 80, 90 loans in the pipeline down to like 15. Right. And they were all really crappy second mortgages, 12, 14%. It was just like, it changed. So it's 2005, 2006, and this is before the ML, uh, MLO and the NMLS and all the, the extra government oversight. So basically, at this point, you get a, a real estate sales license, which is a 500 bucks, and you take three lame online quizzes, and, and you're off to the races, right? right. Um, with no real oversight. So anyone can get into the game. So, so you got 35 people onto a team as quick as you could. What happened, uh, what happened next? It was crazy because right as I started getting into this, this was like 2003 going into 2004 and the option arms just became a really cool thing. Oh yeah. This was on worldwide, you know, world savings and their pick a pay options were just dreamboat, right? You could get massive points on the back, charge three points on the front. Everybody was making money hand over fist. So again, let me just break that down real quick. So these are the negam or negative amortization loans that if you, you pay less than the interest due, so you actually pay negative interest and the interest that you don't pay that accrues every month gets tacked onto the backside of the loan. So five years in your loan balance is higher than when you started. Um, but you got a really, really small payment in the meantime. And a lot of us, I, I did a, quite a few of those myself for personally and to cl- with clients, two clients, I guess it was. Uh, but, but I did it to myself first. And the idea was every house is going to go up. So if it goes up 200 grand in equity, who cares if my loan balance is 12,000 higher, right? It was, I, I had really good cash flow, but those banks would also pay two points back. So if you do a, a $500,000 loan, that's 10 grand in extra commission they give you. Plus you charge the client up front five to 15,000 up front. So you're potentially making 20, $25,000 commission checks for a $500,000 loan. Um, and this was, I mean, it's pretty big money. Yes. And this was standard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, 
And when you talk about it today, like some things don't age well, <laughs> I would say. And, and, and the negam loans and, and high commission rates and everything don't really age well. When you talk about it today, it feels like, oh my gosh, that was terrible. But here's the truth. Everybody was doing that. Right. Every bro- where everyone was getting, you get your rebates and you charge your points and your negam's the best thing since sliced bread. And I put everyone I knew into it and I put all my own houses into it. And it was so, so smart. So, so don't judge us too harshly that the kind of, it was the sign of the times hindsight yeah. being 2020 is a terrible idea. Nine times out of 10. Yes, exactly. And probably more like 99 times out of a hundred. Yeah. Those people absolutely failed in that opportunity. Um, and the problem was, you know, it wasn't my money. It was the banks. I would never loan my money out like that. Right? But <laughs> no, I who would? Money out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you, you're fine. You'll be a bank. You'll never fail. Exactly. <laughs> so, we're doing this over and over combined with the shop that we're running. We were just, there was so much, it's such a lack of integrity. Just everything was all, cause we didn't need repeat business. You know, right. we would finagle it by the time you go in to sign docs and you're like, wait, this isn't what I agreed to. By then you were already 30 days into this. You didn't want to start over. You right. took your loan and you left, but you never called us again. I didn't right. care. My phone never stopped ringing. I didn't realize I had to actually take care of people to get recurring business. Wow. Right. So this just went on and on. And after a while it started wearing on me because I, I, you know, you don't, you don't really, I don't even, if you're a bad person, you don't want to deal with people like that. It's like, they're calling you back. Oh man, you screwed me. My loan, what's going on? What, what are the real terms here? And we're ducking phone calls because we didn't want to deal with those guys. Right. And it just, it felt horrible. So you fast forward to 2008 when things start, start chopping back yeah. and you get, I remember the day that ABC mortgage shut their doors and we literally had 43 loans in the pipeline that were already signed waiting to fund the day ABC mortgage shut their doors. That wow. was on a Thursday that following Monday, I had one loan officer left. We thought we had 43 people walk out the door or whatever, 40 some odd loan agents walk out the door by the following end of that following week. It was just me and the broker and the real estate uh, officer. The entire and office was gone. Wow. And this is actually how I met Eric Lawfon, right? Because we were done. We were out. We had no money left. We were broke, right? And and then I come in on the next week and the the, the main broker, he's like, hey, yeah, I see some tall, skinny guy with glasses, but they're running cat five wires in throughout the office. He's like, yeah, we're subleasing to some Eric Lawfon do some sales trainer. That's and, funny. Yeah, because Eric's huge on sales scripting. Yes. And he had a bunch of CDs and DVDs. Mm-hmm. around the office and, and I was pissed I'm bitter angry I didn't know what I was going to do next and I'm walking out the door and I'm like screw this guy and I grab one of his CDs not take it and I walk I get in my car and I start listening to it and I'm going oh my god this makes sense right I'm listening to him so then the next day I come in I grab one of everything I'm That's still funny. bitter and pissed off and like self-righteous me and still I, just take it <laughs> I grab one of everything and I start listening to it and I'm like dude, I can be teaching this stuff, right? I'm like, I know how to sell. I just didn't, you know, I'm, I can tell, teach people how to sell instead of selling mortgages, right? So I start. that's when I started working on sales training. A couple months later, I get an email because now I'm on Eric's list. And it says, hey, I'm looking for appointment setters. I'm like, I don't want to be no damn appointment setter, but if I can get on the inside and see what is working and what is not and how he's building his business, then I can glean some info. Well, mm-hmm. after like a week, I'm his top producer and I'm, you know, I'm no longer his appointment setter and I'm his running his, you know, I'm, I'm his senior closer and 
you know, teaching his training program. And then by, you know, in a very short period of time, I'm leading his train the trainer program and, you know, off to the races. Wow. And, you know, I, I won't get into any details. Things didn't end really well there. Um, it, it, you know, let's just say safe to say that I have gone on to prove him wrong because I have, I, I have mastered this process and we have built a monster of a company. Yeah. Yeah. Even when some people didn't think we could. Yeah, um, you uh, and, and you have you've you've done amazingly, amazingly well. Um, where do I want to go from here? Is tell me about kind of currently. So what what's what's the process that that you do? What does the main product look like? Um, and let's let's start with that, and then I want to kind of I'd love to pick your brain and break down a little bit of the sales process too, because I think uh, yeah. most people listening would really appreciate getting in the mind of someone who's built a. a a multiple seven figure business and in the business of training sales. So here's what happened. This, this was the, the come to Jesus moment for me. Well, after when all this stuff happened and I'm bitter and I'm angry, right? I had put somebody in a loan who was uh, a friend and her name was Kylie Mastin or Kylie Mastin was a girl I coached high school basketball in. her mm. grandmother. I put into an option arm mm. that didn't belong in it. So at around the same time when all these all the doors are shutting, I'm at a gas station here in Sacramento on a Sunday afternoon in June. And I see a woman walk across the parking lot to me. And it's the mother of my, the girl I coached, the daughter of the woman I put into a loan. Yep. She comes up to me and she says, you are the devil, you're a crook, you're a thief, and you deserve whatever comes to you. Mm. My mother is now living in that car. She lost and her house. She lost everything. And at that moment, I was just like, I, I wanted a car to run me over. I wanted her to hit me or something because I knew everything she said was true. Because I did. I had no business putting her in that loan. I knew it when I did it. Wow. And I just, right in that moment, like things just rushed to me and was like, okay, I clearly have a gift and a skill set, but I've been using it to screw people over most of my life. Wow. And I have a way to be able to help make this work for people and all the skill set that I have by helping other people by instead of manipulating them for their, for my benefit, I need to learn how to use that for their benefit. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel good. And I never want to go through this again. And I have a lot of atoning to do. So mm. that's when I started, I basically went through my whole sales process and said, okay, I want to strip out everything like, you know, stuff that the Eric Lafons and everybody else, there's a lot of systems and systemized process and follow this 10 step formula. And I said, I want to take everything out that doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. And that isn't of service to the person I'm talking to and put in only the stuff that makes me feel good and is of service to the people that I talk to. Wow. That's how my whole sales training process was born which we've recently retitled sales unscripted, right? That's our sales training because it's all about having powerful truth telling honest conversations with people. It's not about following a 10 step formula. Wow. I, I love that name too. Jim, that's great. Sales unscripted. And especially because again, you have, uh, and, and I don't think, yeah, it's, it's probably not fair necessarily to compare, but like you, know, you look at an Eric Lofholm who his entire thing is, is scripting. And to me, I feel like there, there's a place in time for scripting and mostly, and correct me if I'm wrong or if you disagree, uh, which is fine, but mostly like in the cold arena, right? Like if I'm cold calling, cold knocking, cold walking in, it's probably useful to have some script points of here's what I say, here's how my pitch starts. 
But to me, outside of that, especially in high-end sales uh, or uh, programs, coaching, the kind of space we're in, um, and then really even after you get through the first 60 seconds or 30 seconds sometimes of a cold interaction, from that point, it's about listening and having a real conversation. Would you agree with that or, or, or do you have a different point of view? My perspective is that the, the primary purpose of a script is to make sure that you don't forget anything important. It's not there to tell you what to say. Right. Huh. And That's great. The whole, the, our tagline, like the number one rule inside our world is that it's not what you're saying. It's who you're being while you're saying it that matters. Come on. So that's it's good. Because think about this. Every person you've ever met in your life has sold stuff. You're selling something. If you're a three-year-old, you're selling your mom on why you don't want to go to bed. If you know, you got to sell your husband on why you take out the trash. You got to sell your team on why they should listen to you. There's every single, like, you got to sell somebody on why they should go see the movie you just saw. Right. We've been doing this our whole life without a damn script. Wow. Right? It's because we're just powerful conversations, truth-telling, showing up with passion, showing up on fire, and selling somebody, yes, this is what you should do, and here's why you should do it. Man. So I should. Th- so when I got back from Infinity War, Marvel, I should throw away that script when I said, hi, Jim, my name is Matt, and I just came from Infinity War, and I want to tell you the three reasons why this movie is going to benefit your life and really transform you in a big way, and also the pain you can run into if you don't see the movie too quickly and get stuck in the DC universe. So, is the decision maker of the home home? Exactly. Hi. Okay, it's get rid of my script. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Insert name here. That's such a good point too. Yeah, like I've, I've, I've thought a lot about the, the selling dinner to your kids and your husband take out the trash kind of conversation. But yeah, like to think about you, you love where you eat and you're selling it when you talk about how great that sushi place is or how much you love that movie. You never need a script or even a, uh, like anything to follow, right? I don't even need talking points. I'm just going to go, Oh my gosh, love this. Let me tell you about it. Let me find like, it's just such a natural thing. So, so for you, selling is very natural, but you're saying that you're finding that it's also natural for everybody else. We just don't know it. Exactly. That's the whole piece of this, right? It's, it's understanding that you already possess the skill set. It's just understanding being aware of it. And, so that, that's a lot of what we focus on. And we teach a park bench approach to sales conversation. And that all that means is my, my personal belief is that you should be able to sit down with a random stranger and inside of 30 minutes on a park bench, you should know what they want, why they want it, what's keeping them from getting it, what's the risk of them not solving it, and are they ready to do something about it now? That's it. You should be able to deal with it. And you don't need a funnel for that. Wait, was, was that, wait, hang on. Was that a, like a five-step process that just kind of rattled off your tongue just now? Yeah. <laughs> can, can we do that slower? Is that okay? Sure. So, 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 so I want to sit down and do the park bench conversation with someone. And I want to sit down and instead of starting off with my Amway conversation of why my vitamins are the best vitamins, because yes. they don't care about vitamins, where, where do I start with a, with a perfect you start stream? start with what do they want? Yeah. Right? Why do they want it? By the way, if you're listening, you should write this down. I'm writing it down yeah, too. This is definitely a, a writer downer moment. So what, what do they? they so what do they want? Why do they want it? Mm-hmm. What's keeping them from getting it? What's keeping them from getting it? What's the consequence of them not getting it? And, and when you say consequence of not getting it, do you? Is this tend to be? You know, people talk about pain and pleasure and that sort of a thing. Do you subscribe to that or do you yes. believe it's not as much about get the pain as just the consequence of 
the, the natural consequence of what they're yeah. going to experience. Uh, one subtle distinction. People talk about get to the pain, get to the pain. Yeah. I don't believe that. And we don't teach that. We teach I our, think so. our clients to get to clarity. Clarity will usually uncover pain, but not always. It's not my job to help you get to pain. It's my job to help you get crystal clear on why you should do this or not. That's right? really good. Then it's up to you. You now know, here's the, here's the real consequence. If I don't take action, and when you're doing that, all you're showing them is here's what happens if you continue on the path you're on. Here's what happens if you go on the new path. Now they have to consciously choose what they're right. going to do about that. So, so once you get in touch with the, what's keeping them from doing it in the first place, so what are the, their blocks right now? What are their lack of resource? What are their, their issues they're up against? And the consequence of not getting it, getting clarity on that, what happens next? Then it's, uh, now it's, um, are you getting them ready to move? Like, are you actually ready to do something about this? Now, mm -hmm. that you have, now that you know what your options are, you know what the consequences are, getting them into action. Because there's a lot of people who know that they have a problem and still can't take action. So you have to help them be motivated to do something about it. And, and all it is, this is the key. What's the next step? Is the next step giving you a credit card? Is the next step picking up the phone and asking for support from somebody? Is the next step calling somebody and apologizing? Whatever it is that you're hanging, whatever the challenge is. Whatever you're selling. Right? If you're just selling them on the idea that, look, you got to go talk to your, to your husband instead of divorcing them or whatever it is. Yeah. What, are you ready to take the action? And the next action could just be picking up the phone or whatever, right? But that's such it. A, such a great distinction though about action. And I love that because in, in our industry, and I know you do a lot of support of the back of the room and we're talking the back of the room is, you know, when someone's doing a live, a platform sales event, they're doing an event or a training um, where, you know, we ha there's higher end back end programs, right? Coaching and, and training and things like that. So you have a team that you, you and or your team will go and, and go to these live events and support the back of the room with the people. So in, in our industry, I think sometimes it, it also can get a bad rap, um, the sales element. And I just want to call a spade a spade, right? Like sometimes, sometimes they're, they're idiots. Um, it's a lot like, I mean, a lot like the mortgage business. Like when you and I were in the real estate business, I don't know if I was a good guy or a bad guy. I always, I did try to do the right thing, but I know plenty of times I was like, Ooh, we'll make more money that way. Right. And I just, but you know, that's, I mentored, you know, the same kind of thing. It was like, well, that's what you do. And, but there was also plenty of people who legitimately really were just trying to do the right thing. And they, you know, worked in the bank or they wanted to, to do good deals for people. So in our industry, I feel like there's certainly some people who like do this high pressure sale and it feels very pushy. It feels very inauthentic. It feels, it feels pushy to me, my opinion, because it feels like people are trying to get pushed into what they don't want. Right. It's like, okay, I don't really want this. It's like a timeshare. I'm like, I don't really care about timeshares. I don't really want it. And then here I am getting manipulated or pushed into, you should really do this. Look how great it'll be. And then if I say yes, I go home with buyer's remorse. And if I say no, I have to like make this big bold. No means no, I'm leaving. Like it, it feels like that sometimes. And, and what I love again about this approach, your approach, and, and I believe my approach as well, it's much less about my program and much more about truly the thing that you want and, and moving towards that. Now, if the thing you want is going to be aided by learning NLP in my case, right? Or learning speaking skills or learning sales skills in your case, then it makes perfect sense that the next step would be, well, let's take action. 
and, and secure this resource of this training that's going to help you as your first step to get this thing that you really want. Um, I guess first, I, I, that's a more of a statement than a question, but does that make sense to you? Do you, do you resonate with that? Do you have any commentary on that? Definitely. Um, it's really important that people embrace that because um, actually one of the things that we say all the time is we're not here to sell your program. You, you, you making a decision as a buyer has nothing to do with your commitment to wanting my program, has everything to do with your commitment to wanting to solve your problem or change your circumstances. Amen. Then and only then do we talk about a program. So once you have clarity on the desire they want, the circumstance they want to create, the problem that's holding them back and how to move forward, it's all about the person and their life, their business, their, their family, whatever it is you're focusing on for that particular case. And, and then from there, it's can this program or can this product or service help you to get that achieved? How do you find, let me say it this way you want to start at some point with a relevant conversation that will probably lead to a program. So for instance, you're doing a sales training, right? You're going to be talking to me about problems uh, around growing my business, being able to increase my revenue, things like that, right? You're not going to talk to me about necessarily, you know, I say, well, my biggest problem is my shoulders are really hurting. <laughs> and, and although I'm sure you, you're a master, you could tie that in, obviously, you know, well, supplements are expensive. You need to be able to make more money so you can take care of yourself. So it makes sense. But, how, how does that stay authentic too? Because you want to start that conversation around what do I want and what's stopping me, Correct. but you want to make sure that it's still relevant and, and connected to ultimately the, the kind of program or service or product that you're going to be selling down the road. Right. How do you start the conversation and, and but still keep it authentic? So the, the purpose of the park bench approach is because it then removes you from being attached to an outcome. If you're sitting down with a random stranger on a park bench, you're not trying to sell them something specific. Mm -hmm. You're just trying to ensure they have a great experience. Right? Just think about that. You, I got 30 minutes with you. How can I make sure your life is better because we spent 30 minutes on a bench together? So That's good. not going to be by telling you about my stuff. That's going to be me about yeah, you know, 29 questions. minutes of pitching. Yeah. What, so what brings you here? What are you doing? Oh, awesome. And what are you trying to accomplish? And you know, I, what, what makes you happy in your life? And what are you trying, what, you know, what are the things that keep you from being happy? And there's nothing, you'd be amazed at what you can pull from people when you just ask, literally ask that stuff of a random stranger. Now, the benefit of a sales conversation is that typically there's much more context provided. So yeah. you take the same approach from the park bench, but now you can more focus and narrow the, the questions. If they came from a funnel, it's because they probably realize, I need to learn something about how to master my environment or something else NLP related, or I need to understand better how to turn my up and down income into a, I want to put myself on a salary because I have predictable revenue, which is going right. to master the sales conversation, right? So now when you get them on a in a context, instead of what makes you happy, or it's like, what would you like to accomplish most as a result of mastering sales? or whatever, right? So you're, you're now bringing the context so they don't go all over the place. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so it's almost, uh, imagine using your, piggybacking on your same metaphor, it's not just sitting in a random park bench, you're sitting in a park bench in front of uh, a sales place, or you're sitting in a park yeah. bench in front of a school, so the context is me and my kids. Exactly. Right? So you're going, hey, well, tell me about what makes you happy with your children. What do you want to see yeah. them do? And, and all of a sudden, you know, you're having that relevant conversation because yeah. the service you have is maybe uh, learning or parenting strategies or something. That makes well, really good sense. I, I, I like the way you frame that. I'm going to steal that and add that into my metaphor. Yeah, use it. Because uh, now yeah. it's just about moving the park bench in front of Best Buy. 
Right. Bargain. Exactly. And now you're having a conversation about technology. Yeah. That's really, hey, I got Jim Padilla to write something down. This is, this is a big day. Cool. That's a big day. Um, we, man, we, we've already, time has been going pretty quickly. It's unbelievable how uh, we could go for hours together. Um, I know you have things to do. You're a very busy man, um, but I certainly respect your time and, and for coming on and, and having this conversation with us. If you had just last couple of questions, um, advice for someone who, since you're doing live events, I know a lot of people um, listening to this are going to either they do their own, they want to do their own, or it might be part of their business model. Any advice for someone maybe starting off, um, putting on a live event or wanting to get into, they know they need to do sales. Um, we've talked about it a bunch, but what's like a, a big piece of advice you'd say, hey, for your first event, here's how you should focus on sales or here's what you should do. What would you say to them? Yeah, uh, I would say that there, gosh, there's so many different mistakes that people make. But um, for when you're focusing on an event, you need to be crystal clear about what is the intended outcome for people and then answer, ask the question, what's their primary objection to that outcome, right? Hmm. Maybe you want to teach them to be a platform speaker and their biggest objection could be, I could never speak or I don't have a message to share or whatever, right? So now you have to solve that objection as a way to get them in the room and ensure them that by showing up in this room, that objection will never be there again. Wow. Right. It's not about just positioning your product. You have to tell the story of why they're actually, why should they be in this in the first place? So what's the intended outcome? What, you know, what's the premise that you're trying to, to put in place here and what's their objection to the premise and your conversation with them should be continually weaving that thread throughout everything. Hmm. Otherwise they have no reason to come and learn about your product. And, and then, and, and that's, you were talking about to get them into the room and then beyond that as well. Right. Um, do you do that same sort of process during an event or during that first conversation? Absolutely. That's or part of the story arc, right? Because so you want to make sure that that's what they walk away with, even if they don't buy from you, right? If they don't buy from you, they should walk away feeling like he solved the problem he said he was going to solve for me. That's a really good point. I think that's, a, that's probably the other major reason why sometimes platform sales uh, feels creepy um, is because of that. It's like, oh, so I promised I'm going to solve this thing, come to my event or come, you know, do a strategy session with me or come buy this first level product. And then at the end of it, you're like, I didn't actually get anything. All I did was talk about their next product. Right. And I never really got a deliverable, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that uh, I caution people on a lot, especially people who are doing their first few events, it's really easy to get caught up in believing that more is better. And more people. people? More content. Oh, more content. Trying to solve 20 problems for them. Right. Promise them a walk away one, two, or three problems they can solve, yep. and you will create loyal followers for life. Right. They don't really need good. to, they don't want to walk out of there with a notebook full of stuff. And just give me an amen if you've seen this or done this yourself. Walk away with a journal full of notes that you have no idea what to do with, and you never do anything with it. So then amen. just go on the pile. Amen. Hallelujah, brother. You know what I mean? So talk about a, a concept or a specific outcome and give them that experience and teach them how to Im implement it. All right. So this is it. I'm right. I keep looking down because I'm writing this down right now. I got a, a whole, a whole page of notes on, on Jim and I'm going to be implementing this for my next live events as well. Um, that's so awesome. So real quick, uh, 
let's do a, a little plug action. Um, I would love to, to get people connected. So if anyone wants to connect with you, um, what's, what's a great way to do that? What's your, what's your preference? Social media, yeah. websites, gifts. You know what what? You we just kicked off a, a membership Facebook group that um, I want to invite all you guys into. Um, basically what we thought is, okay, there's a lot of people who may or may not be able to afford our high end work, but I want to help as many people as I can. And so we thought, what would be a good way to do that? Let's put a group together where you can just ask questions. You don't have to buy a big coaching program. Let me and my team answer your questions. So we got a okay. drop in coaching group where it's $47 a month, but we're gonna give you the first month for a dollar. Just come in, ask questions, check it out. If you don't like it, cancel it. But if you can't get an ROI on $47, then either I suck or you suck or we both do. But <laughs> or, or if you can't get an ROI on, on, on $1. Yeah, um, you get one client in place, this is worth it forever. Uh, it's about three, three cents a day. Um, you got a $100 million sales brain on your business is what you're getting here. So uh, I, I want to encourage you to just come by and check us out. Awesome. So where, where do they go for that? That is going to be, uh, if you go to GTE now, GTE now.com forward slash influence laboratory. Actually, I think it's influence lab. Let me double check that. Awesome. Well, uh, click on the show notes cause we will put, yeah. I'll put the link up there for that. So GTE now.com slash influence lab. And I'm sure you can find Jim Padilla, uh, all over uh, Facebook and social media. I know you said your Twitter's uh, back active and crushing it again. Um, so, so make sure you follow Jim and hang out with him as well. Jim. Right. Yes. Thank, thank you again. I've said it before and I want to say it again. Thank you. I got one final question for you. Yes. Uh, if you were going to give advice to a younger you, maybe to a 17 year old you, what would you say? that everything is overcomable. Uh, you have no excuses. Don't accept them from yourself or anybody else. Don't let anybody tell you that it's not possible because that doesn't apply. I've heard Naveen Jain, who is a billionaire, who's the first private enterprise who was going to be putting a rocket on the moon. And he, he said this statement as a genius network. He said, if, the, if you say that's not possible, the only thing you've done is shut off that reality for you, not for anybody else. Everything wow. is possible and you need to embrace it. I love that. And if you could change anything that you've gone through in your life, what would you change or would you do it all the same again? Gosh, you know, it's all been a gift. I mean, I don't know who I'd be if I didn't have to go through all of the stuff that I went through. Um, I just wish I was better at, uh, at, at taking action on the right thing sooner. But other than that, uh, I, I have to say that, you know, my life right now is the perfect formula of every, and the combination of everything that I've been through. And, and I love my life. I love who I am. I love the people I serve. I, I love my marriage. I, I'm, I am so gifted and blessed to be where I am today. Wow. I think that says it perfectly. Jim Padilla, thank you so much, brother. Right on, man. Thanks again, Jim. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was amazing hanging out with you. Uh, this was our second interview, of course. So uh, Jim was so gracious. When we first interviewed, I was barely getting the podcast up and running, and I made a huge mistake with the microphone. So, so we had sat, we had sat at this conference together, and we were outside, and I had this whole rig set up, right, with a video camera and with audio, and everything was dialed in, and we we're holding these microphones in front of our mouths, and no sound is coming out. It was just the sound from the 
really bad camera off in the distance. So, Jim, thank you again. If you're listening to this, thank you for redoing that with me. Um, I think the interview was even stronger than our first one, and I'm so, so glad to been able to share to share your heart, to share how you engage with the world, and to share your story. You know, I, I think... I think you have a really powerful story, and it has to get out more and more. Um, man, I'll tell you, when he dropped that that line, he said, you know, growing up with with baseball bats and with broomsticks, I mean, I got shivers. You know, I got shivers just imagining what that must be like, you know, as a kid going to a place where you're supposed to be the safest but feeling the most unsafe, and what he did with that, who he was able to become, and it certainly took some time and some crafting, but man, he really, he, he's done something great with that. And if you have a chance, like if, if you're someone listening to this and you run your own events or you're thinking about running your own events, uh, I talk a lot, of course, about running events and workshops and um, how great that can be for your business. Jim and his team are, are truly some of the most masterful people I have ever, ever met in the sales and in the seminar industry. So, of course, check out the show notes and you'll see more about how to contact Jim. You can get in, uh, follow him on social media. Make sure you follow his podcast. It's Sales Unscripted on iTunes and all the rest of the platforms. So look for Jim Padilla, Sales Unscripted. We'll put a link in there. And Jim, thanks again. I hope you got a lot out of this. Remember, take some of the lessons and take the... The content around sales not being sales, right? Sales being really about a service-based, value-driven conversation and how you can bring value to the person you're talking with and let go of the concept of, you know, the not the concept, but let go of the outcome of having to sell someone. You know, I think if, if more salespeople in the world let go of the need to sell the person they're talking to and realize, look, I need to make sales, but I don't need to sell each person I meet. The real question is, can I help this person I'm talking to figure out what they really need, what would really add value to their lives? And if I can connect that to what we do, you know, all the better. So uh, I invite you to, again to listen to Jim, to follow Jim. You will learn so much. Um, he's certainly in my top, top sales mentor category. Um, if, I, if, if you get a chance, if I get a chance to sit around Jim, um, take him up, man. Listen to him. If you meet him at a live event sometime, uh, goodness sakes, he's just, he, he's a plethora of knowledge. And, and again, such a good hearted guy. He'll spend time with you. He'll look you in the eye. Um, and, and you can't walk away thinking anything that the only thing I ever think about Jim is what a good dude. So that's my interview for this Friday. Again, I'm sure he was valuable for you. I hope it was, um, Keep on following us. Follow us on uh, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube. Everything, to keep it simple, is at Matt Browning. I put all the, the podcast episodes on YouTube. Uh, we'll put them up on Facebook. I also, I did a survey recently, so check this out. Um, actually, go to my, my profile if you haven't already. It's uh, I'll put it back on my, my page as well, but it's on facebook.com slash mbrawning. So I maxed out on friends or pretty close to it. But if you go there on the profile, you will see a post just recently where I asked, I'm, I'm doing a new episode format. And I'll talk about it a little more on Monday or Tuesday, I guess, is when you'll get it. I record on Monday. Uh, but I'm doing a new episode format where I take a topic and then I'm going to bring in other voices and some guests. And we're going to discuss one topic with multiple voices. 
So, so far I have about 45, almost 50 different topic um, suggestions. So I want to say thank you if you're following me on social media and you've been giving me topic suggestions. Man, that's uh, amazing. Thank you. It's really actually helped a ton. But if you haven't already, head over there, facebook.com slash mbronning, and add a comment, add a like, uh, and let me know what suggestions you have for topics of conversation. What do you struggle with? What would you like to hear more about? What do you want to get into strategies on? We have things like motivation, procrastination, uh, learning strategies. People have asked for parenting strategies, um, overcoming adversity, walking out your faith or your spiritual beliefs in business, so many things. Uh, so head over there and help me with that conversation. That's really going to pave the road for the next year of podcast episodes and topics. Looking forward to it. Have an awesome weekend, and I will chat with you again in just a few days.